Cast and Blast Conversation Season 3, Episode 16. And this week we have a person that's going to not be a stranger to most of you listening. That is Mr. Landon Blankenship. I've known Landon for a long time. He is my taxidermist I use for all my waterfowl. Many of you have met him, used him over the years. You've met him at the live show. If you've ever come to those, he's always given uh, mounts away at those shows for us. So really good friend of the show, really good friend of mine. Him and his wife, Michelle, are like family to us. And we sat down with him and kind of walked through the taxidermy process as well as some of the new and upcoming taxidermists in the state, what he sees, what he looks for, how to take care of your birds, whole lot of good stuff in this episode, Landon Blankenship coming at you right now. All right, I am here with Landon Blankenship, official taxidermist of Cast and Blast Florida. How does that feel? Does that feel like a, a, a pretty good moniker? Absolutely. <laughs> Landon and Michelle, let's see, you were one of the first interviews we did like three or four years ago now. Yeah, it's been a while. And the sound quality was so bad. It was not you, it was it was us. Um, and I was always like, man, we got to redo that because there's such good information in there. So. Who is Landon Blankenship? Uh, just your average guy that likes to duck hunt, and just like everybody else does, and outdoors. Um, I work. I don't know if anybody knows it, but I work for the school system for Marion County, painting uh, schools for the kids to make them look good when they come. Uh, husband, father. We got two nice young men that are growing up, actually working in the same place with me, and a beautiful wife that supports me in everything I do. Uh, your beautiful wife. Can we talk about her for just a second? Michelle is one of my favorite people. <laughs> Me too. And she's a character. She has gotten back into duck hunting after kind of checking out to raise the boys, right? Correct. And uh, she's very competitive uh, when it comes to duck hunting. Uh, always has been. I'm glad she's back into it because it's been a long time of her being out. You know, and uh, she been, went last year and bought our new shotgun, which surprised me and she got clothes and we're you know making deals with trips to go and stuff and just wish the ducking around here was a little more cooperative but that is what it is uh and and michelle is the legend of the story when you and i went hunting what was it three years ago four years ago we went to shoot a model you'd killed model ducks right but you wanted to get one for competition for tax competition and i think you talked to michelle on the phone or something she said she was going to pray for some ducks to how did that unfold well we've been sitting there and i think we killed some teal and you know we've seen some wild ducks in the distance and um and we had I mean, it was late in the day it was you know 9 30 10 o'clock something it was late and um she called and asked how we're doing i said like, we ain't seen nothing he said well i'll have uh pray for you maybe something will you know come by and we hadn't even hung the phone up and here comes a i think it was a pair it might have been four i don't know what it was i think it was a pair and both of me and you both whiffed like they're the two amateurs that i've never like we had never shot ducks never before. shot ducks before at all but and then like you know, so we had our opportunity we just didn't hit connect but at the end of the show maybe we can get michelle to like take prayer requests for people <laughs> <laughs> she'd probably do it she'd be glad to do it because it was it was as though you hung up the phone you looked at me and said michelle said she's gonna pray for some some model ducks and across the lake like two three four hundred yards away we could see them coming right it was like they just materialized i was like okay gonna gonna file that under uh i was gonna like i'm gonna have to call her up and tell her like your prayer work but i called her up and said no we messed that up could you pray for our shooting that's yes. the problem so we have to ask the questions that we ask everybody you've listened to the show for a long time but uh the first one is what what is your your boat snack what you go to boat snack or blind snack 
Uh, I am very addicted when it comes to duck hunting. Every trip has to be those six pack of the little donuts, but it's the uh, coconut ones. Oh, landed! I know, I know. That's that's what I like to eat, and a and a coke. So okay, that's it. I like the sugar rush on a duck hunt. Like I like I like the powdered donuts and the chocolates, but I don't like I don't like coconut. Yeah, I think they're they're, they're the coconut ones. It's not it's not the powder and it's not the chocolate. It's the other whichever one. They they look like coconut to me. So <laughs> that's a that's I don't think anybody's ever picked that one before. Uh, little Debbie snack. What is the right choice for a little Debbie snack? Well, mm, uh, I'm a big nutty butter guy. So okay, that's, and I know I'm gonna get flack for this star crunches. Oh. <laughs> You knew you were going to get flat. <laughs> Nutty butter's got to be cold. Do you agree with that? Yes. Like out of an ice chest yeah, or yeah. something. Um, Agree. Or a refrigerator. Star Crunch, if you put make them cold at all, no, you're breaking you. your teeth. Yeah, they yeah. will. They're, they're going to the dentist. They're harmful. They're like a hockey puck. I don't know why you people like those things. Uh, and then the last one is pineapple on a pizza. No. That's okay. That's all you have to say about no. that. Would Michelle do pineapple on a pizza? Uh, no. She strikes me as somebody that might. No, but she did the thing about, the, you know, talking about peanut butter. She's a big strawberry person when it comes to peanut butter. Not grape. So. Ooh, on peanut butter and jellies? Yes. Okay. So when you said the one about that puppy stuff, that she was like, that's, no, nope. We don't have to talk. <laughs> can't do, can't do, uh, she, do, she doesn't do, I don't do strawberry on peanut butter and jellies. I just, I like strawberry jelly yeah. on a biscuit, just not on peanut butter yeah, and jelly. Yeah, she's a strawberry person. So let's talk about as we're sitting in your taxidermy studio. Um, you might be able to hear the AC in the background. I don't see it on the on the sound monitor, but you might. We're sitting out here. You got a nice pintail there. You're working on. Um, I just dropped off a pile of ducks. What got you into taxidermy? Why are you a taxidermist? I mean, I've always had interest in it, even before when I was a kid. Um, you know, wanting to do it. You know, it's because you know back then you know you're 16, 17 years old, or even younger. Your parents are like, oh, we don't have the money for that. And back then it wasn't a lot, but you know money's changed over the time. But uh, just you know, I always had a knack for wanting to do it, and just never had the right opportunity to just fall in line to uh, find the right person and the right material. And now hand, everything's so handy on internet-wise that you can YouTube and find it. But just always had a knack of wanting to try it, and here we are. And then you, how long have you been doing it now? Twelve years. 10 years mm, i mean i've probably been dabbling in it for 10 years you know on and off the first four or so uh just trying to get my feet wet and trying to figure out things and learning and i didn't want you know some people jump right into it and start doing it for customers and, and i wish i'd actually waited longer but i you know people said like oh man i want you to do it and i'm and i did and looking back i wish i'd wait a little longer but um i'd say about 10 years now but six years uh, for customers and tell us about your mentor because i know that was a big uh, part of your yeah, story yeah bill was a big bill, part bill, of what was his last comstock, name? Uh, bill comstock him and his wife both christine were you know bill was a um, just the right place right time um i know he just was very when it comes to teaching people he's easy going and if i had a trouble with anything call him or come over there i mean he lived about an hour he lived in uh inglis is where he lived at um a lot of people you know I do work for people now that used to have him. And then to me, there was no better. And it's the whole state. And he was just a great guy. And, you know, like could never, never was negative about anything. He always found positive stuff. If I had trouble with something or other, he would, I'd call him or send him a picture and he'd tell me how to fix it. And uh, just a great, great person. And 
you couldn't ask for a better mentor. And you got to, for the competition, was it last year? The last year they had it in person, so it would have been two years ago Two now. years ago it was down down towards here down Lakeland. It was where it was and at. And you got to do one of his, because he passed away. Correct. He had Lou Garrett's disease, and before he passed away, he uh, called me over because, hey, I got something for you. I'm getting kind of choked up, so I'm thinking about it. Um, he had went to uh, Island X and killed a Harlequ- some Harlequins and some other stuff and his uh, King Eiders, and he actually gave me an extra one of his Harlequins, and then, and I told myself, I'm going to mount one of those birds and take it to my competition. And the only thing I want to do is win a blue ribbon with it, which that's a score 90 or above out of 100. And I won with blue ribbon. So I was ecstatic. And so, and I owe it a lot to him to give me that and teach me stuff. And you know, to me, it was like giving back. Right. Right. A special person. A special person, special bird. And, you know, a bird means a lot to me, you know, and, uh, I still keep in contact with his wife on a regular basis, text her, send pictures and stuff, because she was very, you know, into part of his what went on with him, too. I mean, he, she fed me half the time when I went over there. And, and uh, you know, she was like ducks just like he did. It's interesting because it's a guy that I've never met. I'm not familiar with Mr. Comstock. He passed away, but his legacy lives on. Correct. And that's, I, I know how important he is just in listening to you talk um, to, the, to the impacts. It's, it's really a powerful thing to me. I love that. So take me through take me through the process of I, I dropped some ducks off to you. Uh, we filled out all the federal paperwork, mm-hmm. which you're required to do. And then how do you go about mounting a duck? Like take me through that process kind of high level. Um, you know, you try to exp- you know look when the people drop them off, you know, you try to explain to them if there's things that could go wrong, if they have a certain pose that they may have to change it down the road once you get the skin and, you know, you let it thaw out. You skin it. You take all the the first things. Get the body out. Then you got to start inverting the skin. Which after you get, I take. I don't use artificial head, so I have to cut the head and bill out, and invert everything inside out. And um, to only thing where the feathers are on the inside, and this, you're looking at the skin. You know, then you got to invert the wings. You get the meat out of there. So only thing you got left of the bird that's actual the bird is the skin, the feathers, and the feet. And then you will take and go over to what's called a wire wheel. You can't see it in my shop, but it's basically a wood box with a small motor on it with a four-inch wire wheel on it. And you just defat uh, from tail to head and get all the fat off of it. And then you wash it, you know, basically Don just soap four or five times so it's clean. Hold on a second. And I'm looking at this thing. It looks like a wire wheel like you'd put on a drill attachment. Correct. how does that not tear the duck? You just go real slow, or well, it's very tedious. Um, every duck is different, you know. Like with wood duck and teal are very thin skin, and you know, a lot most of your puddle ducks are. So you kind of you kind of scissor some of it off to get that. There's like a membrane you got to get off first, and to, to get to the fat, and you just kind of you know lightly go over it till you get it all off. And sometimes you gotta you don't get it all. You come back out here and hit the hot spots you missed. But well, like a tree duck. And uh, a tree duck's got some of the toughest skin. You can actually stop the wheel with, with the skin. Very tough skin. I wish all ducks were like that. And sea ducks, which it's like shoe leather. You can, you can stop it. And so, I mean, everybody's got their own different size motors, different size wheels, different. Some people use stiffer wheels, some uh, wire. Some people use soft. Some use, so everybody's different. And just what you learn on and what you get comfortable with. So once you get that thing, 
you get all the fat off basically getting rid of the fat so it doesn't stink or so it it's doesn't so the, you know the oil from that fat doesn't leach back out through the skin onto the feathers once it's dry okay i mean and you do your damnness the part of my mouth to get everything off as basically much as you can and like i said washing six seven times no matter how many times it takes till you got clean water and you don't see any you know get all the blood i use the arrow too with like a real bloody one arrow donny soap gets all your uh blood clots and stuff out and gets a real nice white and then uh if you got a rusted belly pintails are bad from certain places and a rusting like because like rust stain in the, on the where they're like feeding in like clay right, or something like, like you know a lot of iron and i guess the water um use winks rust remover and spread it on the feathers and then rinse it out okay so and it makes a nice pretty white but some people like to leave the rust color in some people like them nice and white depends so, on the person so you get that sucker I don't see a sink in here. Do you do that in your kitchen sink? I do it in kitchen sink, unfortunately. Yes. Um, we'll bleed this out for Michelle. We'll put the yeah. She wished there was a sink out here. Uh, and so you wash all these. You wash them. And you dry them. I usually, you know, if I'm gonna mount one that day, I would just go ahead and wash it and bring it out here. And then I have a pet dryer. I just my wife invested me in a pet dryer, which has been. Uh, it's underneath there. It's you know. Variable speed and heat. It's like a pet dryer for pet, a pet groomer. Exactly. Like for a, and for I'll, a dog or a cat. I, yeah. And I'll just probably 75% get that, get the down start going. And then I'll switch to a hair dryer. But when I get past the neck toward the head, I'll switch from no heat, just air and air compressor with a nozzle. And, and that really fluffs it. The head's kind of like the key to a duck to me. If the head does nice and fluffy move. So that's where I use on that. Okay. So then... You take it and start wrapping it on the body. Um, Am I skipping a step? I well, you go. You gotta. You know, depends on what you're doing. If you're standing bird, you don't have to wire your wings. At least I don't. I just pin them in place. Feet, you gotta run your wires through your feet and uh, put cotton around those. Build your muscle structure back up. So you run wires so that you can shape it and. Well, if it's standing bird, that's a sport wire. Gotcha. For flying, you know, to hold them in place. And if flying, of course, you gotta invert the wings again. Run wire in there. Take those all on, put your muscle structure back in those, and then you got your foam body with your neck already on it. With your, it looks like baccarat. That's what I use, and uh, with a wire running through that, and you just slide that through, and then you do your wing wires, and then your feet wires, and then you, I add caulk in the neck, I add caulk in the wings to help build structure and help shape the wings, and a lot, of, and you got like caulk, like just regular, just caulk? regular, cheapest latex caulk you can get. Yeah, see caulk guns. It's like a dollar like and you're, fifty like cents Okay, and then. Uh, caulk in the tail where the tail meets the body and, and if I use foam by some people use Excelsior which is uh, wood wool is what it is and they wrap their own which I, I've never been very good at that so, so you caulk all that and then you sew it up sew it like by hand like by hand I got this curved needle up here so sew all down that seam and if you need to add caulk in certain places as you go you do and then once that's all sewed up um, you, you know go to your head and pull your head glue i have to hot glue the head to the neck wire pull your skin up over your head and then super glue the skin back to the uh where it meets the bill so how long does it take from the time you take that duck out of the freezer to the time it looks like a duck on the, on the um wall? when i first started it took me about 12 hours to do what it felt like but um i started this morning after it was dried i probably it was eight o'clock and you got here 10 10 30 and i so mean two two and a half hours basically give yeah. or take yeah and then once you get it so we're looking at a pintail um 
and you got him at a dead mount. Once you get him up there, what do you work on? Are you shaping? Are you you're you grooming? Know, your I mean, symmetry is uh, there's no such thing as symmetry in a while. But you know, I peel. Anybody wants symmetry? Uh, you know, with a especially with a hanging bird, they got the bird is the leg it's hanging by. And the neck should be a straight level line. Okay. And of course, gravity takes over. The one wing should go this way, and the other wing should go the other way. So you got to look at it as it's a flow. You want to look natural. You will look natural. Which it, if you hang one by that, that's the way they hang. So you're trying to get back to natural with the way they look when they're fresh. But after, after a while, rigor mortis sets in, and they don't hang that way. Right. Yeah. No. It, so, it's so still, I still got some things. You know, I still got a few things to tinker on it. So you, you two, two, two and a half, three hours to get it from skin to wall, but then you may spend. You may come back to it several times right. to revisit it. Right, two out the day and tinker with it. Or if I see something, I take pictures of everything and look at it. And it's amazing what you'll see on a picture that you won't see with your naked eye. So something we go through every year, and you've done such a good job the last several seasons of, of trying to correct this, but I want to talk about mistakes people make when they bring when – when they shoot a bird in the field, mistakes people make before they get it to bring to the taxidermist. So, like, between the time they shoot that bird and the time it gets to you, mistakes they make. We'll start vacuum sealing. Vacuum sealing ducks. Um, I mean, I, I've got a couple, and it's a big no-no. I mean, I understand they're, you know, it might be you think it's easier, but it's not. You're actually, when you're vacuum sealing, especially if you suck one down to it's nothing, you're, you know, you're breaking feather quills, and it's just, it's not good. It's not necessary. I mean, all you need to do is just a regular Ziploc freezer bag. I mean, size appropriate which they make two gallon which will pretty much fit any duck that we shoot here in florida i, I put two gallon ziploc back i mean obviously i kill a lot of birds and with clients i get a lot of clients that want birds mounted so i buy I'll, every every grocery trip from august on i'll buy a box of those so there's like 10 or 12 in a box the yeah. two gallon ziploc bags and i double bag them and i just know i'm going to go through 60 of them a season and it's a small investment to protect your, your birds, this thing that's going to end up hanging on your wall for 30 years. Right. I mean, like I said, they're not that expensive, um, you know, and they're like double bag. It's even better. And uh, another thing that we just talked about earlier is if it's going to be even longevity, even short longevity is, you know, taking a wet paper towel, wrapping around with a bill and the skin feathers meet on the head and on the wrapping the feet and the legs and having it wet. I mean, I pulled out one other day. It was been three years and the feet look like they were just freshly shot. So, so is it the moisture in the, the paper? The moisture will lock, will locks in this in that skin and ho- like keeps it that way. I mean, I've seen people have six years and the bird's feet still look like brand new. If they're overexposed, you know, they're nothing. I mean, even though it's in that bag, at the time they still get dried out. So you want to try to lock in the moisture in those two key areas. So those are the two first ones that go. Uh, I shoot a duck, and a mergans are brought to you. Uh, pretty white belly. And very bloodstained. Is that something I should worry about as the client, or is that something you can get out pretty easy? I mean, I usually, it's usually not a problem. I mean, if it helps if you try to be a little bit of preventative maintenance, you know, if, you know, trying to wipe as much of it off as you possibly can, you know, with a white paper towel, get as much off. And, and it helps me in the long run. I mean, it's going to get bloody and messy anyway in the process, but, you know, longevity of sitting on there is probably not a good thing. But um, I, it's helpful for me but not necessarily. Uh, you talked about the paper towels. When you talked about the, the head, you, you mentioned something to me earlier when we were talking kind of before we were recording. 
the most sensitive parts in the head are the cheeks, chin. And it's basically around the where like I said the area where the skin meets the bill junction where it meets where you see the bill because uh, it's very thin skin and it's close to the bone and that you know, bone gets cold and it just it dries out. Those are the first areas and like I said the feet because they're exposed. So if you wrap those areas, like I said, the feet and the head area, that junction with a wet paper towel, that moisture locks in there and helps prevent it from happening sooner. Okay. Um, for a long time, and anytime you post about taking a duck to a taxidermist, someone's going to come on and say the best way to store them is to put them into pantyhose. <laughs> do you want to dispel that? I don't know where it started. I do remember there was a DU book that I mean actually had, and I'm guilty of it myself of doing it when I used to take it to some people. And I've seen what pantyhose do to ducks that have been in them, and it's not good. If you're in the field, I mean, yeah, you could probably do it. But once you get home, people think you can just throw the whole duck in pantyhose in a freezer, and it's protected. It's not. There's nothing protecting it. Uh, ask any woman to wear pantyhose, and it's cold outside. It's doing nothing. You're not going to be warm. You're not going to be warm. So, I mean, best thing if you kill a duck when you're out in the field is just separate it from the others you want to keep it dry as possible and and not get wet and stomped on you know you treat that duck as it's your newborn child so you, you want to handle it as little as possible too like yes. right to keep from taking feathers handle out. it by its feet and handle it by its bill because you know people want to grab by their neck and feathers feather damage can't be fixed to some extent and with broken quills and stuff like that you can't do much with it so i would say feet and bills Dogs are going to retrieve ducks, but if you can pick a duck, like if you know it's a good duck and yeah. you can pick it up by hand, right. it's, I mean, it's still better. You can tell when a dog's because, I mean, especially if it's a hardmouth dog, there's right. puncture holes all in it. And puncture hole means time sewing and more damage could be caused. So so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and this is something you taught me because the first duck you ever mounted for me was Will's first duck, which was a terrible Drake Bluebill. Mm-hmm. Not, the mount looks great, but it was a immature drake bluebill so it was pen feathered it was it was right not a great might have been a younger bird too it was not a great bird and i came in and was like hey i want to get this mounted it was his first duck sentimental yada 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 talk talk through kind of the idea and something that you brought me around on the idea of going through choosing a better bird or choosing the best specimen i mean i always try to tell people the later in the season for are migratory birds, not like model ducks or tree ducks, because they molt year-round. The later, the better. Anything after, I'd say, Christmas time, it's less pen feathers. So, I mean, to me, you're spending your money on it. Why not get the best bird you possibly can? And like I said, it's unless it's a unique bird or a special bird, then you're you know you're stuck with what you what you got. If you shoot up a, we talked about a piebald teal. Right. A, a teal that had a lot of white in it. Right. If you shoot one of those, you're not ever going to shoot another one. No. I mean, the odds of that happen are slim to none. So you're going to take that to your taxidermist you, right. no matter how I mean, I got that one from, you know, the guy shot it in Tennessee, and, and it was uh, pen feathered. And I don't know. I was talking to another taxidermist, but they call it lewistic, which is lack Lewis, of pigmentation. Yeah, exactly. It was those feathers, feathers butts are not very seated very well, and they want to fall out really easy. So I lost a lot of feathers in that bird when I was mounting it. So, pin feathers, when you wash it... They, they normally fall out on their own. So, if you get a bird, what are pin feathers? It's Is just that, where the fe- new feathers are growing. You know, they they look like a tube, and the feathers kind of sticking out as it's coming out. So, you mean, uh, most of your birds, you know, your side pockets, 
and in your chest, that's where. And in the canvas backs or their heads, like even late season canvas backs, I'm talking about in the season, still have pin feathers in their heads. Really? Yeah. So I mean, it's hard. To, I mean, you just got to deal with stuff as a taxidermist and fix it and do your best you got because you're not going to get any better. But as a client, if it's a duck that you know you're going to kill another of, I would hold off. Hold off on the specimen unless. I mean, because you, you are sentimental, too. I remember a few years ago, you mounted a bird that was from someone's last hunt. Right. It was a young man Several, that, I've done that passed several away those, tragically. And, and, and yes. Yeah, so it's not to say don't do it if it's a sentimental bird. Correct. But it is to say, where I hunt, there's a lot of wood ducks. So you kill a wood duck, that's great. Mm-hmm. But if he's shot up pretty bad, just because he's your first wood duck, the longevity of that mount and the way that mount's going to look would be better if you waited for a better specimen. I would, Yeah, I would agree. I mean, in... They in the long run you're gonna have a better looking product on the end because it's you know a better bird and like I said some people they they don't get that I mean honestly first bird I'm gonna get it with, you know if you're gonna kill something other and you got plenty of opportunities to shoot more of them I would wait and he'll get a better bird if if you go to Alaska and shoot a harlequin you went to Alaska and shot a harlequin right you, and you only shoot that, that one exactly you probably so just get that one done get him mounted but. But if it's something that's, you know, if you're on the coast and you shoot a bluebill, yeah, well, you, you shoot kill a, a better bluebill. Yeah, if you shoot a ton of redheads, I would, you know, wait for a better redhead. And it's it's something, interestingly, uh, a friend of mine, he, a former client, become a, a friend with mine. I, I brought his birds with me today. And he, he sent you a stud wood duck. And earlier in the season, he killed his first wood duck, and he was excited about that. And I said, man, just maybe put that first one in the freezer, but hold off on mounting it. Let's, let's see what else you get. Mm-hmm. And sure enough last day of the season and he killed a bunch over the course of the year and he said the last day of the season i could just tell that bird was bigger it was more mature it was not shot bad like i was like yeah that's the one you get mounted that's a that's uh-huh. a trophy i mean i've been in the same aspect of you know before i started doing it myself is when you get something like and i instance i shot a widgeon it would should have never got it mounted and it was an immature one because i never shot one before i got it mounted and then you know Who's to say next season you'll kill a nice one? I want this one done. So, I mean, I get it. I've been on both hands, and I know it. It's it's just a thing to wrestle with, though, with your client. um, Because you can set your taxidermist, I think, up for success by bringing him good birds. Yeah, and I think you're setting yourself up and him because, you know, he's turning out a better product in the long run, and you're happier because – I won't say names, but there's some people that mount birds that don't care what they take, and they just take it, and you'll see a bird that looks great, and then the next one you see looks not so great. And, you know, it might not say it was his fault, but it might have been what kind of condition, what, that, bird condition that bird was when he brought it. Right, and you, you're talking about a thing. This is a conversation you and I have had several times on the phone and over the years, but you're talking about something that's going to hang in your living room for 30 years. So what is $300? It's $10 a year mm-hmm. for this thing that's going to hang in your den or your office or whatever. And so don't don't skimp out on what you're doing with that bird. It's, it's kind of my take on it. Right. Like, I mean, I'm not, and I, I'm not saying bring have to bring it to me. There's several other people, and or if you can send it off if you're comfortable doing that. And, and I'm going to stop you there. You've taught, you've introduced me to a couple other taxidermists in Florida, Zach and... and uh, Zach Seeds and uh, Amanda Martian Studios and Vero. I mean, both are very accomplished taxidermists in themselves and very young and have a very bright future ahead of them. Yeah. And you've... I, that's something I've admired about you is it's not like a fear of the competition. It's like a brotherhood or a yeah, sisterhood. I, mean, I look at it this way. I mean, I've... Zach came to me, you know, and wanted to learn how to do it. And I, you know, and Bill reached out, you know, and helped me. So I feel like it was 
giving back, you know, teaching him. And he, you know, he does fantastic work. And I told him I just I wouldn't be no problem of hanging anything you did for, if he wanted for me and hanging it in my house. I'd be proud of it. And Amanda, you told me about a piece she did. Was it the Mallards fighting? Yeah, she did for the, her first show uh, last year. She did two mallards fighting in water, splashing around. And she, I mean, very gutsy move on the water. And she said she had to do it because the wings were damaged so bad. And very impressed. Even the even the judge for said that she was for her first starting out and where she was at. She was doing a fantastic job. A little bit fearless. And yeah, and, and she does a lot. I mean, I follow her on Instagram and, and on Facebook and. I'm, I'm proud of how, how far she's come in a short period of time. She's I send so much work her way because I can't do it all. And I think she's full-time, so she has more time to work on it than I would. She I've sent several clients because another thing, you don't take birds by mail. No. You you want drop-offs. I've done, I've done two, and it was, and it was disaster. both disaster. I mean, it's not no fault of the customer, and it's no – well, one of them was a the fault of the customer. The other one was um, I just – it can be – it can be a, a nightmare. Getting that bird there in good condition. And I understand, you know, it's like it's, that's why I've tried to spread it out, especially people south of me, what, you know, down around Miami stuff and in Vero area. I've tried to send them to her because she's closer. And, I mean, I've done, like I said, I've done two through the mail. One of them was uh, they ended up showing up three days in a FedEx envelope. Oh. Yeah, they were not good. Yeah. That's, and that's where I was going is I, I've started some of my southeastern clients. I send them to Amanda because right. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Right. Well, you'd have to live next door down there with the traffic to be 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> but, but, but generally speaking, like geographically, she serves that population well. Right. She, I mean, she, she does. She, she does a really good yeah, job. I mean, there, I, mean, I, I mean, there's probably other people down there that do birds. I just don't know them. I, I just I've met her in personally and uh, was very impressed with her and it's like i said in the two years i've been following her i'm impressed with how much i've seen her grow there's something else to it too is that she's a waterfowler and i, yeah. I think that's something you and i talked about the first time we did this interview is as a taxidermist being a waterfowler you know how those birds should look right she likes the duck hunt and stuff and go, she goes on trips you know and zach same way he's a duck hunter you know i'm a duck hunter and and you know you some people i don't understand how they when they get their stuff from other people and they look at it and then it looks great. And when, if you duck hunt, you should know that that ain't right. Right. And I don't know. It could be money. I don't know. It's not, it's not me to judge because if the mount makes you happy, that's what I try to say. If if you're happy with it, that's all is important because I'm just not going to, if the mount makes you happy, that's all. That's that's right. That's what should matter. So I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Favorite duck to mount favorite favorite <sighs> i can tell you what my least favorite is. Oh, that, that question's coming go you ahead. know what that answer um well no go ahead answer the least favorite if you the least to. favorite is model ducks i just i mean i've got better at them but there's they're always so full of pin feathers and i've got i get so many of them and you're in florida and that's i average probably between that and wood ducks probably 10 to 15 of each one every season out of what do you take 60 ducks is what you target yeah normally between 50 and 60 sometimes it's less than that sometimes it's more than that but uh i would say my favorite God, i like doing blue wing teal i mean i never really put teal or you know especially drake blue wings are one of my favorite birds anyway so good late season good late wing. season you know full moon crest on the side see i thought you were gonna go diver because of the skin and it's it's easier on the i mean i'm i'm a sucker for a drake ringneck too 
I mean, I, I mean, you know, I yeah, you did Drake Ringneck for us I'd, a few years ago. It was a, I think those are probably my two favorite ducks, shoot and the mount. So, and you get you guys up here up this way, y'all shoot we a shoot lot a of ton, we shoot a ton of ringers up here. Yeah, they're we don't shoot many model ducks at all. Florida duck hunting is ringnecks for for anybody. To that's me, been doing it should it be a state. Years. Yeah. Um, like it's it's that's pretty ubiquitous like yeah i mean i said i grew up that's all we ever shot and i think blue wings passed them in harvest a few years back like now that's the one we kill the most is blue wings we don't shoot i mean we get them up here doing early teal and then you might find a patch of them doing late season but most of them fly right on by and just keep on going duck you haven't done that you'd like to do is there any that you haven't done yet king eider you haven't done a king eider i'm doing my first cinnamon teal in a couple weeks i got one it's a not a stud one one but it's a cinnamon uh i have a, actually have a uh mandarin a guy shot over on the east coast so that'll be a first for me um and i got a brant coming up so that'll be another first now you, how do you feel about geese i don't mind doing like the small ones like ross or a speck or a snow but i will not touch a canadian why is that too much work too much not enough room and just they're just a pain. I mean, like people ask me about Kenny, I won't. I'll give it to somebody else and let them do it. Or, or I don't do turkeys either. I've done one turkey. It was my dad's, and that's the, that's the last. <laughs> yeah, because you send people to Michael, right? Mike Mizell. Yeah, I mean, people. I send them to Mike. You know, Black Wings. I mean, Mike does. He does incredible. Like he's uh, world class. Isn't yes, he? I mean, I've seen him his work. He comes to the competitions, and you know, he's award winning guy and great guy too. So really nice guy, family guy. Yes. Like, so, yeah, I, I need to interview him at some point about turkey taxidermy and see how that's different or if it's the same. It, you said you've a, done one. Is it the same? It, it, well, it's just the same thing in process, but just bigger. I mean, there's different things about it that are similar, and those things are different. I mean, it's feathers and skin, but just on a larger scale. And, of course, areas of the bird are different than a doe and a duck. You know. So every year, starting about probably September 15th, whenever early teal opens, you start getting phone calls about getting mounted ducks. Um, how how is how's the best way to engage with you if you want to get a duck mounted by Landon Blankenship? Because you only take sixty a year. There's twelve thousand duck hunters in Florida. Yeah, I know, and I, I make a lot of people mad. But I, you how, know, how's, what's I gotta the have best a, way to go about getting in getting into? I mean, I post stuff on you know Florida duck hunters. Um, my personal page on Instagram is just Florida Waterfowler. I mean message me on there or on facebook my name i all the, i get messages all the time every time i post a picture which is my own worst enemy uh i usually get a message or two about having something done and i have to be polite and say look i'm not accepting anything right now i'm full and way behind and trying to play catch up you usually take birds when is that april i March? usually try you know after duck season's over like the second weekend of february because you know this year we didn't have our competition so it's kind of if i was doing it the first week of february that's when the show is um, I like to wait till duck season's over. And this year, the youth season was later too, right? And that that was another thing that was part of it. So usually, the middle of February. Okay. So because that way, ducks all duck season's over, and if people kill anything during the youth weekend, that's over, and they can make arrangements to come up. And usually, it's I, it's kind of my, it's my own fault. I do it all on like a like a Saturday. My you know get my wife here to help me, and people come up, and then I mean, this year, I think. I tell it was like eight o'clock. The people start calling, and or texting, and people started calling, and she would hang up the phone to be ten messages afterwards. People trying to get the yeah. Everybody, everybody was trying. Yeah, to get I in. mean, so it's kind of my own fault doing it that way, but it's 
And you know, you like people that are returning customers, they come to pick up stuff and you can't bring birds, bring birds, you know, they bring one or two with them. So it's, it's a never ending cycle. And you really, that's a thing I've always appreciated. You always try to accommodate your returning customers, even outside your 60 yeah. duck limit. Like you, you really try to, and that's where it grows because usually people like pick up one or two, they bring one or two more or right. three or four. And, right. And I, I could say no, but I don't want to say no. And then that's how it turns into from year to 14, 15, 16 months, which right now I'm running at 14 months. Yeah, I was going to say that that was the other thing. Um, I got two more questions that I want to – maybe they're just commentary that I want to give. But one is lead time on a duck. Like like everyone I think would say if you asked who's the best waterfowl taxidermist in the United States, they would say Shane Smith. Is that right? I Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that and Birdman, probably the most recognized because of their websites. I mean, I get a lot of their pictures from people bring that, hey, I want it like this. But I mean, there is so many other people in the taxidermy industry, bird taxidermy, that people don't realize that are just as good, if not better. But those guys are two and a half, three years out? I, I, yeah, I would say you, you two and a half. You ship them a bird and it's yeah, two and a half, you, three years? Before you see it. So That's same, a long Same time. with you, same with Zach, same with Amanda. You're not that far out now, but... If you want a good bird, you're going to be wait. patient with your taxidermist. I'll say it. Be patient with your taxidermist because he's going to get to it, but you want him to get to it in a timely manner. Or I'm sorry, you want him to get to it when he's got time to do it correctly and take his time to make sure. That's a piece of art that you're creating. Right. You know, and biggest thing, too, because people is that I'm not a full-time taxidermist. I work 40 hours a week, and there's days I come home that I don't feel like coming. And this year, during the summer, I work for 10 hours. So, like today, Friday, I'm out here working, you know, and I work Saturday, Sunday, and I'll be working out here Monday for 4th of July. So, I mean, I don't have much time off to do anything but work out here. And then even though I only do one bird a day, I think my quality of my work stands for it. It looks, you know, it looks good. I mean, and I'm proud of what I do, and I strive every bird to do a better bird the next one. So I don't have many people that call and aggravate me. I have a few, and I, like I said, I told you, I've been on the other side. I understand that you, you want, want your, your bird stuff back. back, you know. Uh, I mean, I dropped those off to you today. I'll come get those, what, next Saturday? Next yeah, sure. Saturday, yeah, probably, they'll probably be ready for you. So. Yeah, yeah, I'll get right on them right after you leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the other thing I wanted to say, and this is something I learned through you just kind of by accident, I think, was trust your taxidermist. Like, I, I've gotten to now where I give you the birds and I say, I want to put them on the wall or I want to put them on a table. Do what you want to do with this, the, the mount. And that's and not to say you don't want influence, but as the, as the client, but at the same time, I like for my taxidermist to be able to be creative. And you remember the black belly mount you did for Will a few years ago? The, the, like he was, coming in for a mm-hmm. landing you used one of eric orlando's pictures mm-hmm. everybody sees that's like that's incredible right i, I mean I, s- I gave the bird to, to landon and said do whatever you want with it it's i think when having flexible artistic ability to do whatever you want to do i love it because then i'm not stuck to like this is what you want and then a lot of times you got a bird that has issues that you want to hide if you try to call the client and say hey look this is, can we switch it up most of the time they say yes do what it makes look better but when you have flexibility and you have an issue, you can do whatever you want. And I try, like, I just mounted two birds for my son, my oldest son. I mounted a widgeon and a Drake canvas bag. And he didn't know what I was doing them, and I did them however I wanted. And the widgeon, I absolutely love, and everybody thinks it looks phenomenal. 
and it's a real erratic pose, his mouth open, dropping in, like coming in. The, and the canvas back turned out really well, too. That was, so, a, was that a standing can? No, it was a flying one. Flying can, okay. I, I know you did two cans. Yeah, the standing one was uh, for the same guy that I'm doing the pintail and the gadwall okay. for. So my advice being, I'm not asking you to give them this advice. My advice being, talking to a taxidermist is, give them some artistic license to, yeah, I like it flying or I like it standing. Maybe give them that kind of guidance. But beyond that, trust what they do with that bird. Right. Because they can be creative and you will be shocked with what they can do. Same, you you kind of taught me that. Then you told me about Amanda and those mallards. And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you just trust the taxidermist to be creative with it and see what they can do? Because... That's this what, is a labor of love. That's what they do. I mean, you know, and they want to turn out a good product, and and you want to get a wow factor too. But a lot of people, it's you know, it's you get the old. I call them just the standard like flying cross because it's just wings open, flying left to right, banking. I mean, and it shows everything in the wings, and that's you know, people looking to see uh, you know that on the bird. And I, I get it, and it's basic and easy, but every now and then, be a little hey, just do what you want, mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and that's tr- – trust your taxidermist. Find a good taxidermist. Like I said, get in line with the Landon if you can or, or get in line with Martian or, or Zach. C- Siege. S-I-E-G? S-E- I think it's S-E-I-G. Okay, there's no E at the end. He's in Ocala sure. here too. It's S-E-I-G. Yeah, he's local in, yeah. in Central Florida. And he does about 35 to 40 birds. He's you know, he Because he, he does it part-time as well, yeah, right? Exactly. And he hunts hard. He hunts hard, and he's actually – I give him kudos for his age. He's a young guy. He is actually trading hunts for different people of different states, and that's how he went to Washington last year. And he actually uh, had Shane Smith come to his house and he took his daughter turkey hunting, so he's going up there for a seminar with him. And so I'm good for him because that's just going to make him a better tax. Yeah, he's hustling hard. Yes, and that's – I mean, this business you have to, you know, and he's – in two more years, he'll be blowing me right out of the water the way he's going. And good good for all you guys, though, for having each other's back and not being – Absolutely. D- diminishing to each other or divisive. Because back or, in the old days, from what I heard, some of the people, they didn't want to share any kind of tips. Cutthroat. cutthroat. And I, I'm not – I wasn't taught, brought up that way. And like I said, bringing from Bill, being um, – so he kind to me and helping me. I just want to return the favor, you know. So yeah, and and I appreciate that. I appreciate that as a client because all my clients want to come to wherever I get my ducks done. There's not enough. I could fill you up every year and not have room for clients. I birds. could probably just be filled just from you alone. That's what. And 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 then I'd have to turn clients away. Sorry, you can't get your ducks mounted because land didn't have room. So having that support out there for other taxidermists that you trust, that you're like, look, their work is really good. They're gonna blow me away down the road. Mm-hmm. Like that makes my clients feel better when I when I hand them a different name than mine. And, right. and I, I just think that's an important thing, and I, it makes me it makes me proud to be affiliated with you, but also proud of them and the work they're doing and everything else. It's like a a big team, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> All right, Landon. If people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? Check uh, out your work on Instagram. It's uh, Florida Waterfowler, and on Facebook, just look up Landon Blankenship. Thank you, buddy. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you doing this. Appreciate you coming. Yeah, I'll see you next Saturday to pick right, these man. birds up. Yeah, sure. I'm ready for you. <laughs> Huge thanks to Landon for giving us some time on a Friday afternoon to make that podcast happen. And he he actually did not get my birds back to me the next week. Um, he did get a couple of them back to us for the live show as a surprise. One was for Will. He knew it was such a special bird for Will. Will's first model duck. And so he got that one done. But Landon is an incredible guy. If you want to get your duck done right, make sure to check him out. But also make sure to check out Zach or Amanda if you're in Florida and don't want to wait around for Landon or can't get in there. Uh, obviously, highly he thinks highly of both of them and their work as well. 
As always, we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying conversations. Uh, please, if you can, figure out a way to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I don't know how it works, but somehow magically that helps people find the show. So if you can do that, if you read, if you leave us a review with words, Emily will read it on the show as long as she can read it with little ears in the car. And the best way you can help us out is by sharing this podcast to other groups on social media, share it, share it to uh, uh, forums or groups on social media. Any way you can get this in front of new listeners, it definitely helps us out. So thank you guys so much for listening and we will see y'all next week. Bye.